Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean, the weekend edition. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Sunday and Saturday. It's kind of a weekend thing. Uh, what is managed retreat, and how has it brought the National Party and the Green Party together, perhaps closer than they've ever been before? Razor Robinson, the most talked about coach in rugby, maybe, uh, talks about another super rugby season. It's a minute. And uh, Ruth Croft runs a lot. Uh, we'll find out just exactly how far she's been running lately, but perhaps. Uh, but before any of that, yes, uh, we, I mean, Gabriel Aftermath. It's going to be the most afterest aftermath of all time, I think. Communication, roading and water supply are just a few of the infrastructure issues that have come to the fore over the week. And in each case, there'll need to be robust discussions both at local and central government levels. Regions have been let down. But as emergency teams continue to hunt for missing people and rush urgent food and water supplies to isolated communities, we are reminded again about the power of preparedness. Sandika Manakana, who is a Manakara uh, lecturer at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Auckland, commented this week that the Cyclone Gabrielle disaster is a grave reminder that in the wake of disaster events, the first responders are always neighbours, whānau in the local community. Therefore, in building back better, it is highly important to also make genuine efforts to build resilience within communities by finding ways to empower them with accurate knowledge on disaster and climate risk, assist with grassroots disaster preparedness, and support the building of strong social networks. And from what we have seen over the last few weeks, this is perhaps the most important thing we should consider as we plan our recovery, especially considering how difficult it is to model something as unpredictable as the weather. Yeah, I don't know. Are you getting a bit tired of hearing people saying that you can't, you know, prepare for unprecedented events? I've banged on about this a bit. But don't you just go, right, what's the worst case scenario? Everything's underwater. Right. What do do we do to keep things running as much as possible in that situation? I mean, we had a woman on the Mike Hosking breakfast last week from Vector. Uh, no, sorry, from uh, Transpower, who was basically saying, you know, these days when they build substations, they built them assuming that there's going to be two metres of water running through them. And that's why they keep, you know, the new ones keep working in floods. Except some reality, unprecedented events happen all the time. You know, the most dramatic pictures that we see in the Herald or we watch on the news, there are communities and families dealing with all manner of lower-level disruption and damage. Think about this. We're only in mid-February, and there are tens of thousands of kids in New Zealand who've already missed a week of school this year. That's crazy. Anyway, my, my friend has been trying to air out their house, and when I was talking about the damage and flooding at their place, they said this. It just feels like we're pinballing from one crisis to the next. And I didn't want to say it to him in the moment. But even once the mess has been cleaned up, that's not going to change. This is life now. There might be a reprieve for a period of time, but ultimately there's no end point to all of this. There's no finish line. The frequency of these events is going to keep increasing and crises and catastrophes and significant disasters are baked into our future. Last month's floods and Cyclone Gabrielle will make for New Zealand's most expensive storms this century. But there's good reason to think they're not going to hold that record for long. And the truth is, as it was 
illustrated to us so profoundly this week, we are not ready. So uh, what do we do? Panic, panic, panic. And in times of panic, even the Green Party and the National Party can get together and come up with a uh, managed retreat plan. I don't know what this means, but here's hoping uh, Todd Muller and James Shaw do. You and Todd Muller sound like an odd couple. How did that come about? Well, Todd was the National Party Climate Change Minister in our first term of government. And when I said minister, sorry, spokesperson yeah. uh, in, in our first term of government. <laughs> and uh, we worked together on the Zero Carbon Act. So um, we've got kind of history of working together. Uh, and of course, because he had that role then, he understands the issues that we're facing here. Yep. So tell us, what it, what is managed retreat? Well, it, it's one of the options for how we deal with the effects of climate change like the cyclones that um, we've seen over the course of the previous week or two in Auckland. Uh, the idea essentially is that there are some places in the country where um, risk to property and, and life and so on uh, is so great that um, we might need to look at relocating. It's not the only option. There are other options, but uh, we need to make sure that we do have that option available to us. Um, how important is a bipartisan approach to this? So I, I almost feel like the word should be multipartisan, but anyway, whatever, semantics aside. Look, to tell you the truth, I, I think it's the single most uh, important factor. I mean, this is a multi-decade uh, transition that we are facing. It's got to survive multiple changes of government, and the country is not served by making it a partisan issue. So how will it change? Well, actually, just to, you mentioned there are other other ways we can go about um, dealing with it other than managed retreat, but I would have thought that managed retreat is an essential component of it when we look at some of the the history of flooding around New Zealand. It is definitely an essential component, but that, like I was saying, there are other options. So, for example, if you remember the Edgecombe floods a few years ago, um, there were dozens of houses that were uh, flooded then. Um, that is a remote rural area, and actually the approach that was decided on there was to uh, lift those houses up onto um, raised pads of about two metres, uh, which means that you know you could mm. you could still have the flooding in the surrounding farm without it affecting um, the, the primary property. This is another theme that keeps coming through as well that um, Gabriel can't be a partisan issue, and it may it's and I think I've already talked about this as well, but I'm really going to start hammering away at this. I think there's a lot of things that shouldn't be partisan issues that are partisan issues. Can we stop having partisan issues at all? Seems like a good way to get things done, don't you think? Anyway, calm down, Glenn ZB. It's nearly rugby season. We're counting down to your seventh season in charge of the Crusaders, just days away from your opener against the Chiefs. Can you, can you believe it's been seven seasons already? Seven seasons has gone quick here. Yeah. Uh, the days are long, but the years are short, especially when you're coaching. You know, Super Rugby is a sprint. You get into it straight away and... It's a race to the top of the table. You know, you get the opportunity to get to um, hold finals football at home. You know, that gives you the best opportunity and and you live the season. You know, it's uh, but different to the Northern Hemisphere with a bit more of a, a slower grind of the season where for us, you, you've got to be right on from round one. And then you get a great little period of time to prepare and, and plan and recruit for, for the next year. And, uh, you know, we start this week ahead, so we're excited when we're ready. It's a bit of a cliche, but the target's always on the back of the Crusaders, is it? How do you respond to that every year? Yeah, we've always got a target. We're always 
you know, people, you know, you make your season, they, you, when they beat you, you they think it's just sort of their final and you got people crying and, you, um, <laughs> you know, they're elated. And, and that's part of, I suppose, that's uh, when you've been successful, that's all part of um, who you are and you, how, but how do you evolve, how do you get better and realise that you've got to move that target that, that, that is on your back. Yeah, I reckon talk to whoever's printing the jerseys and just say, can you stop putting targets on our backs? Stick with the sponsors' names, maybe at the names of the players, and go from there. Um, yeah, so it'll be disappointing for the Crusaders when they lose to the Chiefs in their first game of the season, but what can you do? Uh, we're going to finish up here with uh, Ruth Croft. Uh, she's one of these uh, ultra marathoners. Um, that sounds insane, but. Um, that's what she does. There's quite a difference, though, between the kind of running you were doing in college and the kind of running you do now. So so what was that transition like? How, how did you go from, you know, running in track meets and that kind of thing and, and, and the kind of running you were doing in Oregon compared to running ultra marathons? Yeah, I suppose so I do trail running. So um, in New Zealand, I was probably doing it without knowing that it was a thing. Our Sunday long runs in the Port Hills and and even on the coast, we're always on trails. Um, but then after the US, I actually got quite burnt out and kind of gave up running. Um, and I moved to Taipei, Taiwan. Um, and then after kind of six months of not exercising and probably partying a bit too much and putting on weight, I started to get back into running uh, just for like fitness and for my health and um, kind of decided to sign up for some races. And I didn't know Mandarin at the time. And so it often took me a long time to get someone to uh, sign me up for an event, get someone who <laughs> spoke Chinese or um, yeah. could at least, yeah. And so then after I wanted to sign up for the North Face 15K and the 50 was the only one that had spaces still available. And so it was kind of progressed after that, really. So she meant to run 15 and ended up running 50. I've been there. That's happened to me. Not, why well, not quite. I, I did... There's a couple of times where I've accidentally run a lot further than I was intending. I used to go for 10k runs, and uh, one time I thought, ah, oh, that looks about 10k's. But by the time I got back, it was 18k's. And it, yeah, it wasn't until I was about halfway around that I realised that I'd, I was going too far. But by that stage, you're halfway around, so you've already done 9k's. It's 9k's to get back. And then there was the other time I got lost. That ended up being 23Ks, which is the furthest I've ever run, and perhaps the saddest I've ever been by the end of it. So the idea of running 50Ks or 100Ks or 100 miles or whatever she's doing, and I think she seems to be doing it on purpose more often than not these days as well. Accidentally, I can let her off. On purpose? (laughs) I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, that has been News Talks You've Been. I will do this on purpose for you again tomorrow. See you then.